first off, I just want to say something for y'all can go ahead and turn to Psalm one. Uh, we're going to be reading that today. Uh, but I just want to just I, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart um, to be able to serve you and to be able to, to, to serve alongside you guys. It is an honor and a blessing. And I, I am so unworthy of to even be up here before you. And uh, so thank you so much, uh, Cody. Um, I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that. The prayer that you, you pray for me, I, I felt like, I was like, man, he is really talking me up. And I hope I'm, I'm, hope I'm half as good as what he just said I was. So, um, uh, but thank you, Pastor, uh, for loving us and for uh, just taking care of us. Um, uh, I know he said that he encourages, uh, we encourage him, but he encourages us just as much. And so uh, I'm grateful for that. But we're going to be in Psalm 1. Our pastor kept telling me, do not call it Psalms 1. So I'm going to uh, not call it Psalms 1. It's Psalm 1. And uh, if you will, if you're there, if you would, just please stand. We're going, to, uh, uh, we're going to read God's word together if you're able to. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. You may be seated this morning. If you're new to the book of Psalms, let me give you a synopsis. Essentially, Psalms are a collection of songs and prayers of God's people uh, that help connect the human experience, the, the, the vast variety of emotions and experience that, that we encounter as human beings, and it connects them to the sovereignty of God. In many ways, what the Psalms are doing is they help teach our hearts what it means and what it is, what it's like to bring all of us to all of God. Not just some of us, not just part of us, not just the good stuff that we like to put on social media, but I'm talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. The mess we are and what it means to bring that before God and trust in his sufficiency to meet us right where we are at. And so the book of Psalms, which there's, about, there's, there's 150 of them in your Old Testament, and many believe that they were written at various points in Israel's history, but they were compiled and brought together shortly after the Babylonian, Babylonian captivity when Israel uh, was allowed to go back to Jerusalem. Out of the 150, uh, 101 of them were written by six unique authors. 73 of those were written by King David. And there are 49 that are anonymous. Um, but Psalms 1, Psalm 1 focuses on the here and now and what it means for a follower of God to be in the already but not yet. The tension of seeking to abide in the counsel of God for the design of flourishing that, that, that he has given us. But at the same time, facing the temptations and the compromises of the world around us. But before we really dive into this passage, I want to ask you a question. What would make you happy? Think about that for a second. 
What do you think? And a lot of y'all have already in your head, you know exactly what, like you're already in, in your head, what would make you happy? But what would really make you happy? Think about that question. I asked my D group, um, and of course the guys are in here, they're, they're, uh, they know who they are, but I asked my D group that same question. I really set them up and I'm setting you, up, you guys up. I just want y'all to know that. Um, but I asked this a couple of weeks ago, like what would make you happy? Uh, and, and some of their responses were land, right? Uh, another one was to be on the water uh, every day. One guy didn't really, didn't tell me, he knew exactly where I was going with it. And he just said, I'm, I'm already blessed. I'm already, I'm already, uh, I'm already happy. And uh, I'll, I'll tell them later who that is. But, um, but no, right? My thing was, uh, what would, I don't think I would be happy, but I feel like I would be content if I could sit on my back porch or work in my shop or walk from my back porch to my shop without being like bombarded with barking dogs on either side, like barking at me the entire time. I can't even sit on my back porch. Like I'm sitting there having a conversation with my wife. Meanwhile, there's a dog that's gonna like attack me. I don't, I don't, I don't know why. So neighbors, if you're watching this, um, would you please tell your dogs to hush? But I, yeah, sorry. But no, I mean like, and it's, That's, I mean, and I hope they are watching. Um, but no, what do you think would truly make you happy, right? What, what do you think would truly make you happy? Today, I want to show you what I believe and what scriptures believe is that life. Through these scriptures, how you could be truly happy. Do you know that the Bible actually encourages us to look for true and lasting happiness? It does. And I believe that Psalm 1 is going to show us exactly how to have a happy life, have a blessed life. So let's read that first part again. Blessed is the man. See, when you hear that word blessed, we tend to associate blessings with that's some, uh, some sort of external uh, physical provision, right? That's, that's what we think. That's what we, we think about when we, when we hear the word blessed. When we see somebody, a man or a woman that is incredibly, uh, has an incredible paycheck, uh, maybe they have a nice job or maybe they have an amazing relationship or they live in a nice house, whatever it may be, we look at them and we say they are hashtag blessed, right? That's, that's what we think about, right? But biblically speaking, it's not actually that way at all. In fact, the Hebrew uh, translation for this word blessed literally means happy. Also, the, it means happy. So, but it's not a happiness that is, uh, it, it, sorry, I, I, I messed my words up there. But it's a happiness that is not rooted in external physical provision, but one that finds itself in internal joy that comes with spiritual provision. For instance, let me, let me give you an example. In the book of Job, chapter 5, verse 17, Job remarks how blessed is the one. This is the same Hebrew word that is used in Psalm 1. How blessed or how happy is the one whom God reproves. <laughs> we look at that and say, what? We wouldn't associate reproof or discipline with, with blessed. Right? But that's what, that's what Job is trying to explain to us right here. This doesn't seem like something that we think would be a blessing, but yet Job understood that there is a spiritual benefit that comes from reproof or the discipline of God. Do you know why? It brings us back. 
It brings us back into alignment with God who is our true source of happiness. True source of joy. And so in that regard, it is a blessed life to receive reproof. It's a spiritual asset. So how do we get there? How, how, do, we, how, how do we get to this blessed life that, that Psalm 1 is talking about? Psalm 1 says that the blessed man is, is a man that does not do these things. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Notice the theme here. Walk, stand, sit. Counsel, way, seat. Wicked, sinners, scoffers. This is a form of a poetic repetition that is very popular in the book of Psalms. And it's actually, it's actually going to bring up several times in our elders' preaching, right? You see, in Psalms where there will be one or two or three lines uh, all used to mean the same thing. And so that's what Psalm right here is trying, Psalms 1 is trying to tell us this. They want to reemphasize the same meaning. And and so in this verse, it's emphasizing the danger of us joining in with sin and the progressive journey that sin will take us on if we continue, which is down to destruction. But see, sin, the thing with sin, it begins casually, doesn't it? Casually observing alternative views opposed to God. Then it moves to actually embracing those ideas and living in them. And eventually you find yourself advocating for those ideas that run counter to God in the seat of a scoffer. Remember in Genesis 3, when when sin entered the world in the garden, God, he lays before the first man and woman the instructions, right? There are two options. One, you can eat uh, from, the, from any tree in the garden that you want. Eat of the tree of life and live forever. The other tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you're not to eat of. Because if you do, you will surely die. So one way to life and one way to destruction. Those are your options. Genesis 3. And then sure enough, in comes the enemy who presents that first man and woman some alternative views. Did God really say? Some other ideas that, that, uh, for them to consider that, that run counter to what God has told them. And in that same moment, after considering those, those other alternative ideas, they begin to stew on those ideas. They begin to think through and process those ideas. In fact, Genesis tells us that when Eve looked upon the tree, she saw that it was good for food and that it was the delight to the eye and that it, was, uh, it would make one wise. Alternative ideas, right? And in that moment, after considering those ideas and thinking upon them, they act on it. They partake of the fruit and consume it. By the end of the story, even when God confronts Adam, Adam has now taken the seat of a scoffer, defending his actions while putting and placing blame on God. And all the while, not even realizing that this, in this whole process of disobedience, it, it has led to their destruction, not to their flourishing, just as God had said. And so we see in Genesis and also the psalmist here seeking to show us how sin works. 
It begins with believing, then it moves to behaving, and then ultimately moves to belonging. It is listening to fools, thinking like fools, acting like fools until you become one. You become a scoffer. You begin to mock the very hand that is feeding you. And Crouch uh, wrote it like, like this. A scoffer is simply one who has the perception of total authority and yet has zero vulnerability. So you can find these scoffers on the throne of social media, Facebook and Twitter, on the throne of personal blogs, and they are advocating for the things that are opposed to God. They are mocking God himself, professing to be wise, all the while Romans 1 tells us, proving all along to be foolish. The psalmist here is saying, if you want to be blessed, if you want to live a blessed life, the life that leads to the truest form of happiness, then don't head down this way of listening to, following, and ultimately advocating for the very thing that God is opposed to. Instead, instead, verse 2 says, to delight in the law of the Lord and on that law to meditate day and night. This is the happy life. This is the blessed life according to the psalmist. If you want to live the blessed life, if you want to live the happy life that the psalmist is talking about here, we must delight in the law of the Lord. A blessed life is one that delights in God's law. A blessed life is one that delights in God's law. See that word law here in Hebrew is the word Torah, which means instructions and teaching. In the psalmist's day, the Torah was the first five books of the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy, in which God laid down 613, not just 10 commands, but 613 ordinance, instructions for how God's people were to live in such a way that would lead to their thriving. Now, that sounds weird to us, right? To delight in law. How many of y'all right now go down I-20 70 miles an hour? Okay. Sandra, I'm gonna let you know right now, if you are riding 70 miles an hour in the left lane, people may be upset. Yeah. But no, we don't go around delighting in law, right? We don't, it's, They've changed the, the speed limit down to Chocolaca Road for, to 55. Well, everybody was going to 55 anyways. Like, that was a thing. Um, but even then, it seems like somebody is always on my tail. Like, I'm going 60. I know I shouldn't be going 60. I'm going above. Like, but then, meanwhile, you have Sandra over here who is delighting in the law of the land. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, if you see me pass you, know that... You need to call me out. I'm the one with the big thundercat symbol on the back. You'll see me go down the road. Uh, you can't miss me. But no, right? We, we don't, that seems foreign to us, to delight in law. See, some folks would even say that's exactly what they hate about Christianity. That's exactly what they hate about Christianity is we're supposed to do all these things. If you're a Christian, you do this and this and this, Right? Most people think that, that Christianity is a bunch of rules and regulations. It's a bunch of legalistic do's and don'ts. And, and the idea to delight in law, to delight in God's law, that seems foreign to them. And what most of us say and what I say is no, that's, that's not what Christianity is about. 
It's about a relationship. And yes, it is. Yes, it is. And that would be totally true if God's rules, God's ordinance, God's instructions existed apart from his divine character and his divine goodwill towards us. Let me, let me explain. You see, any, any good and healthy relationship must have clear expectations and boundaries on it in order to be healthy, right? Let me explain this way. If Holly and I had no expectations, we just said anything goes in our marriage, uh, you, it's, it's, it's not going to lead to a healthy relationship. If anything goes in our relationship, then, then we're going to head towards destruction, if you can go spend whatever you want, if you can go head down the road and visit and be with anybody that you want outside of our marriage, it's not going to end well. Our relationship will be in destruction, in, head towards destruction. In fact, I'm sure that someone would end up, like, end up hurt because Holly is very protective of her eye candy of a husband. I just want you to know right now, right? She is. I got somebody, I got Cindy over there. But no, right? In any relationship, there has to be clear and healthy expectations to lead towards health. That's not to say that our marriage is built on law, but it's, it, it does mean that healthy instructions and healthy expectations is what teaches our weak hearts how to discipline ourselves so that we can pursue the greatest intimacy, the greatest health that this relationship can offer. You see, the reason God established his law in Israel was to give them a picture of who he is and the direction that that would lead towards uh, human flourishing, the greatest intimacy with him that we could possibly experience. That's why we delight in God's law. The law of God was to reveal God. That's why it's such a delight. That's why the psalmist is not just some boring life of obedience, of giving up the good life in order to follow God's command. No, it's, it's the delight because the psalmist knows that this is, the tr this is where true life, true joy, true happiness is found. You see, man's rules, and this is where we, get the, where we get the whole legalistic do's and don'ts, right? Man's rules can be prideful and, op and, and oppressive, but God's law, his, his instruction for us is actually created not to steal our joy, but to lead us into it. True blessing is abiding in the instruction of God rather than the counsel of the wicked. Look at verse three and four. Look at verse three and four. Let's, 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 keep on, let's keep on going. Three and four is gonna give us two illustrations to show us these two lives, right? These two lifestyles. Look at the happy, the happy man. Look at the blessed man. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. There's a lot of takeaways here to this, uh, these two verses. Um, uh, but, but, but three, sorry, one verse, but three specific benefits that come from being like a tree that is abiding in God's word. He is rooted, he is nourished, and he is fruitful. A blessed life is one that is rooted in God's word. A blessed life is one that is rooted in God's word. Church, listen to me. Abiding in God's word doesn't mean that the storms won't come. But it means that when they do, that you'll be rooted and you'll be held 
so that you're not tossed around and lost wondering what to believe. You'll be nourished. Every good tree needs a good water source in order to strengthen it. I think about Juan uh, sharing that video uh, a while back on Facebook. He was next to a tree. I believe he was at um, Nakalula Falls. And he found a tree that was planted by the water. And he, he encouraged everybody on that video to be like that. Men, be like this tree that is planted by streams of water, right? That's what I think about every time I read this verse, by the way. But every good tree needs a good water source in order to strengthen it. In the same way, there's no better water source than an active stream that you can be planted by. Living rooted in God's word provides the daily nourishment that you and I need to be strengthened for the particular life that we are, that that God has has called us to. The psalmist tells us that, that we are to be in God's word day and night, to be like that tree planted by streams of water. But also notice that the tree is fruitful. Every tree has a season. There is a, there's a season for dormancy and there is a season that is bursting forth with produce. This is a steady growth cycle of every tree. That means it's, it is healthy. That, that, and so it is with every Christian as well who abides in God's counsel. See the guarantee here, the guarantee here in Psalm, Psalm right here is that in due season there will be a harvest. But you may go through a delayed gratification at first. But that season will come and it will be in God's right timing. You will produce. This is what it means to prosper biblically. Worldly prosperity is usually measured in some physical asset that can be gained right now. But Biblical prosperity is measured in what is guaranteed as a spiritual asset that will come in its due season. Our joy is not rooted in the temporal. It is rooted in the eternal. But see, it is sin. It is sin that convinces us otherwise. So the, the way of blessing, according to the psalmist here, is like, that of a tree spiritually rooted in God's word, nourished by God's word, producing fruit over the long haul. But this is not the way of the wicked. Verse four says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff, that the wind drives away. Now I know our pastors talked on this uh, several times and this is, chaff is mentioned several times in the scriptures, but I wanna go over it just real quick, briefly with you guys that don't know. So the chaff is the non-seed part of grain. It's, it's light and useless. It's, it gets blown away when the wind comes. See, when the wheat was tossed up in the air, the heavier grain, the nourishing part, would fall to the ground and the imposture or, or chaff, the husk, would be blown away by the wind. And, and this is what chaff is. It's, it's weightless. It's, it's worthless. It's here one minute and it's gone the next. The wicked, the wicked are like a one-hit wonder. By the way, I, am, uh, I was really surprised at the fact that uh, our students knew the song, Who Let the Dogs Out? I, was, I thought for sure that that was not something on their radar, but evidently everyone knew that. Even so, my son knows Who Let the Dogs Out. He was screaming yesterday at his birthday party. Um, but no, right? It, it, it's, it, it totally messed up my illustration, by the way. Uh, really did. 
But no, think of that one hit wonder song. Think of that, that one song that came on the scene strong and it flew up the charts. It got played at five parties in a row and then you never heard from it again. And so it is with those who invest their lives in the things that run counter to what God has called us to, what God has designed us for. John brought us to the same conclusion in 1 John 2, 16 through 17. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. There are two ways to live, according to the psalmist. Put your roots down in the streams of God's word. It will be slow growing at first, but in due season, it will bear much fruit and it will be strong enough to hold you firm in the midst of storms. Or you can take the immediate shortcut to a look of life satisfaction of chaff. So you can look so promising, so promising in the, in, in the short run, but will be blown away as soon as the winds come. Church, the winds are coming. And that's why we preach the gospel. The winds are coming, and that's why in verse 5 and 6, the psalmist ends with a future day of judgment that will come. It will come. That's why we preach the gospel, right? Look at verse 5 and 6. Therefore, this is, this is talking about the judgment here. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways, the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's why we preach the gospel. What the psalmist does here is in his conclusion is now looking past this earthly life, looking down the road to eternity and getting to that final day of judgment and notice the irony when the, that judgment comes. The wicked who appeared to stand so strong in this life will not be standing on the day of judgment. The sinner who sat in the assembly of the mockers in this life will not be sitting in the assembly of the righteous when that judgment comes. The choice is clear here, church. Stand temporarily with the wicked or stand eternal, eternally in the assembly of the righteous. Sit temporarily right now with the scoffers mocking God or sit eternally in the assembly of the righteous on that day of judgment. A blessed life is known by God. So you may, you may be able to hide a little bit of it right now. But on that day of judgment, you will not be able to hide. You will be blown away. Forever separated from a God who loves you. Because a blessed life, a life that is abiding in God's word, will be known by God. The truth is clear. The wicked will perish, but the righteous will be known by God. They will be counted. I want to leave you with two things today. I want to challenge you, and that is this. One, church, we need to be a people that abide in God's word. Let me explain with a question. What is your main source of wisdom right now? What is your main source of wisdom right now? 
What is something that you turn to in your life right now that, that gives you wisdom? Is it social media? Is it, is it entertainment? Is it your teachers? College professors? What is your main source of truth that we are seeking in our lives? Also, how much time are you spending being shaped by these sources of truth? How much time uh, do we spend being shaped by these sources of truth that are opposed to God rather than what would press us towards God? That's important. See, I'm convinced that when I'm at my weakest, when I am at my worst, is when I have all a hundred other different things in my life feeding me wisdom that opposes God rather than the one thing that will truly give me wisdom, which is God's word. Martin Luther said it like this. If we neglect the literature, we will eventually lose the gospel. That's powerful words from Martin Luther right there. Church, we have to understand that there is no neutrality when it comes to the influences around us. They're either pressing us towards God or they are pressing us away from God. There is no life, true life, apart from Jesus Christ and his counsel. None whatsoever. God's word in our, is, is in our life to be, uh, to, God's word is our lifeline to the blessed life that, that he has designed for us. Let us be people who turn to God's word instead of social media, instead of news channels, no matter what you watch, right? Do not let these things be a source of spiritual wisdom. Don't let them be a source of wisdom at all. We here at Iron City, we test everything. We test everything. Go home, test what I say today, right? Test what we preach. You better be testing what the world tells you too because it's going to leave you be blown, to be blown away. Not only do we need people who abide in God's word, but two, we need to be a people who rest in God's son. We look at Psalm and we say, we look at Psalm 1 and we say, there's no way. Where is this? How can we do this? Right? When we feel limited in strength and desire to cling to the sufficiency of God's word, when we feel that, that the, the, the temptation uh, of the world around us that would lead us away from God and into a direction that is different from what God has called us to, when we find ourselves in these moments where I can't, I, I, don't, I don't know if I have the strength or I don't know if I have the time, better yet, let's, let's, let's say for what it is. I'm right there with you. When we say we don't have the time to be in God's word. When we find ourselves in those weak moments like I have. We need to remember that we have been given the one who fulfilled Psalm 1 for us. And that is Jesus. You see, Jesus is the one who did not go the way of the wicked. Jesus is the one who fulfilled every command in the Torah. Jesus is the one who stood on this earth like a tree and grafted us into himself through his sacrificial work on the cross. Jesus is the one who, because of that work on the cross, has assured our seat in the assembly of the righteous on the day of judgment. That can never be taken away. No matter what anyone tells you, no matter what preacher or whatever tells you, 
this can never be taken away, right? And he did all of this for us on the cross and through his resurrection so that we could be clothed in his righteousness and be blessed in him forever. Psalm 1 is not just about wisdom and making good choices over bad one. Psalm 1 is pointing us to the one who became this for us. It's pointing us to the, the, the kind of life and fruit that will only come in Jesus Christ. Life in, in, in Christ is the best and most fulfilling form of having a blessed life that you're ever going to find. It's the greatest delight. It's the greatest blessing of life that one could ever live being rooted in Jesus Christ. It will not eliminate the storms in your life, but when they come, it will hold you. It will hold you fast. The life in Christ that you have will hold you as you abide in him and persevere through. There is only one direction that leads towards a blessed life, and that is through Jesus Christ. That is, that is why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are two directions that you can you can. You can go, right? One apart from Christ that will lead to death and destruction. But there is only one way that is in Christ that will lead to a blessed life. Congregation, people, church family, come to Christ. Come to Jesus today if he is calling you. Church, seek the blessed life and not the wicked. Let's pray this morning. Father, God, I come to you right now. On behalf of our church, on behalf of God, our elders, on behalf of myself, God, God, when this life is so hard, when I cloud my life with so many things that are not of you, God, God, that oppose your truth, that oppose your wisdom, God, that, that opposes your word, God, help me. God, help us as a church, Father, to dive deeper into your word. God, may that cause us to go further and deeper into your word, God, and not away from it. God, help our lives to be rooted. God, in your word. God, help us to delight. God, in your law. The law that only wants to help us to, to the life to help us towards the life that, that you would have us to have, that you want for us, God, this blessed life. God, remind us that we can't do this on our own. God, we need you each and every day. God, help us to seek you day and night in all that we do. God, I thank you. God, I praise you for who you are and God, what you've done in my life. God, help us as a church. God, help us as a elder body. God, to do these things. Father, we love you. Thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.